seller empathy has got to be at the forefront of everything a product marketer does. If you truly want to get the product and the market messaging and positioning across the line, because anything void of that will just be left at the door. Hi, I'm Maggie Bean, and welcome to the New to Product Marketing Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Gerard Green, who's the Vice President of Product Marketing at HiSpa. He's going to talk about how product marketers can build bridges and best collaborate with their sales team. I also want to thank our sponsor, Product Marketing Alliance. Stay tuned to the end of the episode to learn how you can get 10% off their core certification course. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hi, Gerard. Hi, Maggie. Thank you for having me. And I'm really excited to be here. If you could introduce yourself to our new to PMM community, that would be awesome. You got it. So my name is Gerard Green. I'm the Vice President of Product Marketing at HighSpot. Uh, I've been in the discipline for about eight, nine years. And um, yeah, really would love to continue learning about product marketing and help other people learn about this, this discipline that we all uh, care about so much. Amazing. And today we are going to be talking about building relationships with sales, which is something we get asked about all the time in the new to PMM community is definitely a hot topic. So, so excited to have you on to break that down for us today. Absolutely excited to be here. Great. So I'm going to start off with some lightning round questions for us. Are you ready for those? Let's do it. Lightning round sounds good. (laughs) All right. Awesome. What is your go-to email sign off? Ooh, uh, draw your line of standards and live above it. Amazing. And what is the best part of your job? Uh, People, working with people, teams, uh, my team, other people's teams, stakeholders. That is is the best part. And what's something you're new to? Ooh, great question. In life, in work, in, in everything? In anything, anything you're new to. Oh, man, I'm new to being the father of a teenager. Uh, my daughter turns 13 uh, this weekend, so that's what I'm new to. <laughs> Happy birthday to her, too. That's so exciting. Appreciate that. Thank you. What is your product marketing superpower? Oh, man, product marketing superpower is making the complex simple. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really working to build simplicity. We work in product marketing. It's difficult. It's technical. It's hard. It's scary. How do I make it make sense? So I think it's that that translation of complex to simple. Absolutely. An essential superpower to have as a product marketer. For sure. So I'm going to get into our main questions for today. Starting off, can you tell me about your early days as a product marketer, especially what those first experiences were like working with the sales team for you? Yeah. Early days were interesting. Um, I've never met someone who kind of was always a product marketer. Most folks have fallen into the discipline. Um, I fell into the discipline coming out of Gartner where I, as an analyst, was the product. And so being the product gave me a lot of context into how salespeople work with the product and treat the product. And so early days as a product marketer in the official capacity, a lot of the relationships began with sales. Uh, And my learnings now, maybe it would have been different for starting with product, maybe it would have been different broader marketing orientation, maybe different kind of customer service segment or audience orientation. For me, it was always the sales team. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so early days were always good. One of the first meetings I remember having was joining a company in December, having that sales kickoff in January. 
uh, and then be in the room with three of the sales leaders, just kind of whiteboarding out our message and our position and how we wanted to go attack the market. And, and I remember it not feeling like work at all. I remember just drawing some ideas on the board, you know, telling these really compelling stories. And, you know, for me, that kind of forged, you know, what it would be to be kind of a sales field focused product marketer, which really set the tone for how I, I think I continue to operate today. So that that meeting in Colorado Springs stands out a lot for me for the, the guys and gals in that room where I thought we built out something pretty special. And those, those learnings have always kind of stayed with me. That's amazing that you were able to have sales in the room when you were collaborating on that. And I'm sure set the the groundwork for you on that collaboration with sales when it comes to that messaging, positioning, et cetera, um, really well. That's that's amazing. It's interesting because I think a lot of times we as product marketers, we I mean, we we love our positioning, we love our messaging, we wanna make sure it fits what challenges customers are having and, and how the broader market is interpreting those and how we're different and how we're unique. At the end of the day, it's the salesperson that's got to translate that, right? Mm -hmm. Where if they're not comfortable, if they're not good, if they don't, uh, I won't say agree, but if it's incongruent with the way that they're going to show up, it's just going to make things harder. So I always think it's important to get validation on what they see because they see a lot, right, Maggie? They're they're in sales, they're in meetings too. They talk to customers too. They have a point of view as well, and so that that collaboration early goes, I think, a long way and informs a lot of what. You can communicate to product with that translation superpower. It informs what you tell marketing with that translation power. It informs how you talk to services. So that's been a just interesting dynamic that that's always stayed with me and one uh, I'm proud of. And I think my my team's doing incredibly well uh, with as well. Yeah, they're an invaluable resource for sure when it comes to they're on the phone all day or on Zoom calls or meeting in person at events mm-hmm. um, and talking to customers. And also, they're going to be the ones that have to say it aloud, right? Like you can sa- you can write something and I'm, I'm so guilty of this that it sounds so cool, like written and yeah. it's like really like pithy. But then you don't think like, oh, this is going to sound really dorky when somebody has to say it like on a call. So salespeople can really screen for that for sure. 100%. Absolutely. So what are some common challenges that you've seen PMMs run into when collaborating with the sales team? It's the notion that I think you and I just touched it, right? It's the notion that like what we say is the end all be all, you know, as, as product marketers, like our titles, half product, half marketing. Uh, that's a pretty wide remit to know the product, to know the market context. And so to say, yes, I'm the technical expert of the product. I understand what it is. I understand use cases, value prop roadmap, the whole spiel and how I bring that to market in my marketing side of the role is also something that, you know, I think is unique and special. I think one of the mistakes we make sometimes is like there's we, 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 we sometimes tend to overstep in terms of how we think about enabling the seller or getting Mm -hmm. the seller to say what we believe is fact or just getting them to kind of dogmatically follow all of the content, all the collateral, all the materials we produce. I think the mistake is like not pressure testing that. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, I think we get caught up in a lot of like, well, if you just follow the position and follow the messaging because we've researched this, we've talked to hundreds of customers, we talked to all the analysts, we did all the work and just, if you just do it, you'll be successful. Mm-hmm. I think it's a myth. And so I think that there's always learnings to be had about um, contextual situations. What about this buyer type? What about this industry? What about this segment? What about this tech stack? What about the way this organization buys tools? Um, what about the way they buy this? What about the competitor they just uh, had a meeting with? 
there's so many variables. And I think the mistake we make is that we don't account for those. And we just assume that one size fits all. And if you just do this and run the play, you'll be successful. When the reality is the complexity of what a sales rep has to deal with, not only in terms of those variables, but I mean, just in terms of their day to day, they're hopping across different tool sets. They're different. They're motivated differently. Right. As this more extrinsic than intrinsic, there's there's pressures, there's there's goals, there's targets they got to hit. Like there's a lot of complexity in those dynamics. And so not yeah. to understand, appreciate or respect those, I think, is a is a challenge product marketers can run into. And so I think one of the things the best thing we can do is have empathy for, for what sales folks go through. It's a tough job. It's very hard to do. It's difficult. It's the reason we don't do it. It's hard. Um, <laughs> and I think, and I, think the, I think the opportunity to understand what are some of the very low hanging fruit, easy things you can do to make their job just a little bit easier, go a long way. So yeah. the, the bombarding of complexity, I think, is the mistake. The opportunity to find the simplicity and the low hanging fruit at the rep, individual contributor, cold face level opens up so many opportunities and not for nothing, lands you a lot of credibility in the process. Mm -hmm. I really love how you frame that. And it gave me a little bit of a light bulb moment of treat others the way you want to be treated in that. I hear a lot of times PMMs saying like, how do I get products to involve me in things? Like product always just hands things off to me and they don't include me. And it feels very prescriptive. And it's like, here's the product, go market it. Like, I feel like that can feel really similarly to what people do to sales all the time as we say, here's the messaging, go sell it. And we don't involve them. So like if you want, if, if you're thinking about it from product, oh, I really want more collaboration with product. Sales wants more collaboration with you. A new way to think about it that I had I'd never really considered before. Yeah, it's a connection function, right? It's a connecting function, product marketing, like that equal time rule with product and market and sales and services and customers. There's a lot. There's like a Venn diagram I think I saw online once of, Here's a typical day for a product marketer. It is it is a different kind of swivel chair. But I think what sales folks appreciate is that we do have that end to end point of view of I know what the product team's doing. And I also know how the services team is implementing that thing. And sometimes those things are incongruent. So sales folks, <laughs> here's what you want to watch for. Right. Yeah. Or I understand what, you know, our top of funnel demand gen uh, messaging and campaign is focused on. Uh, salesperson, as you pick that up through the mid funnel, like post to say, here's here's how you want to think about that. Just because the words on our website say one thing doesn't mean you say that in your first, second or third meeting. But you mm -hmm. should have some context into where that all came from and what's it informed by. So it it is interesting to be, again, that that translator role across because, you know, sales isn't spending time with product, nor are they spending time with services, nor are they spending time with kind of core demand marketing, nor are they spending time as much as they'd like to with their peers, um, mm -hmm. but you are, you are. And I think there's a role you can play in having that end to end view and visibility of not only just what's happening internally in your business, but what is happening with your competitors, what's happening with the broader market, what's top of mind for your buyers and their, their leaders. There's, there's a magic power you have. And I think sales is naturally drawn to want to tap into that. And so mm -hmm. use that to your advantage as, as much as you can, because you do, you do, you do have a special role to play. And I just, I don't like when product marketers shrink that role down and say, oh, I'm just, I just create content or I just, you know, I'm just here to, you know, write the words like, no, you are magical. You are a unicorn. Please, <laughs> please flex accordingly. You have to embrace that unicorn magical spirit, everybody, every day when you wake up in the morning. I love that. 
So speaking of light bulb moments, did you ever have a light bulb moment yourself that changed how you thought about or approached collaboration with sales? Yeah, um, quite a few actually. But one I had was um, was on a sales call slash ride along. Um, one of my good friends to this day was, was a sales rep at one of the companies I began the product marketing journey with. And again, my epiphany was that, you know, we create the materials and the messaging and the frameworks and sales picks those up and they kind of magically bring those to the meeting. My light bulb was like, uh, no, no, they don't. Um, <laughs> this is, this is, this is the days before gong, right? This is the days before chorus or whatever call recording software you're using. This was back in the day when like sales calls were face to face. You show up to the meeting, you check into the office, you wait in the reception lobby, you're called into the room, you plug the computer in, you share a script. Like think of that whole song and dance. And then think about the time that that sales rep and maybe the sales engineer or solution engineer, if you're in tech B2B, like think about that whole setup and think about how much time you actually have to compel the audience and ask discovery questions. But show the product, but not show too much. Um, talk about the roadmap, but don't go too far. Uh, think about all the things you have in the allotted time to do it in. And my light bulb was like, this is crazy because just an hour ago, we were at Starbucks, right? And then two hours ago, we were with another customer doing a completely different contextual uh, kind of presentation. And then we also had another one to prepare. And this was a regular Wednesday for, for the show. And so it's like that that ability to kind of go in and out, in and out on a, on a, on a regular day uh, was my light bulb moment of like, oh, my goodness, like there's something we got to do to make this simple because it's not as easy as like show up with pitch deck, pitch, pitch deck, uh, sell software, make club high five. There's there, again, the take so much complexity involved with what it takes to kind of wear those different hats and balance those different perspectives. So. My light bulb back in, well, I guess 2015 was seller empathy has got to be at the forefront uh, of everything a product marketer does. If you truly want to get not your thing, but the product and the market messaging and positioning across the line, because anything void of that will just be left at the door and the sales rep will default to the path of least resistance and never circle back to, to, what, to what you or the broader team they want them to achieve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That simplification um, and realizing how many things that sales is juggling and you don't want to be your complex decks or whatever requirements, like be another thing that they're trying to juggle in their day. Just it's not going to happen. So what are some warning signs that product marketing isn't making strong enough relationships or inroads with the sales team? Uh, sign, warning sign number one, no, they don't know you. Mm. They don't know who you are. They don't know your team. They don't know what you do. They've never met you. They've never met the team. Like there's, there's a world where I, I used to, you know, I was leading a team and, and one of my, one of my, uh, one of the folks on the team said, Hey, I never, never get invited to sales calls. And, you know, how do I get on sales calls? It's like, do, do you, do you show value? Do you, do you help them convert that call? Do you help them prepare for that call? Do you help them handle objections on that call? Do you help them kind of mitigate any risk around the buyer committee? No. Well, then you're not going to be on that call. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the risks is like, if you've never spoken to a salesperson, if you've never been asked to join a first, second, third, or fourth call, if you've never been, you know, kind of tapped on the shelf, I used to call them door knocks at another job. If sales has never knocked on the door for help, they were slack, mm -hmm. sales never slapped you to ask for help. <laughs> um, that's probably a sign that something's not quite there. And it's not yeah. that they don't see 
the value of what you do. It's just they don't know where it comes from. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's a very likely, you know, path of product marketing produces materials and message frameworks and all these like beautiful things. And then maybe another team will repackage that to make it make sense for sales. And sales thinks that that's also the source of the goodness. Um, and so again, it, it's, it's not a, it's not a bad you know translation engine to have, but you don't you don't ever want you know your work or your presence whitewashed to that extent. So yeah. I think warning side number one is that like the field doesn't know you or know you on a first name basis or know how to leverage what you and the team can provide. And I would challenge all product marketers to make sure that that's a silo that's broken, even if you have sales enablement team in place, a sales readiness team in place, frontline sales managers in place, even if you have those things, if they don't have a you know 1-800 product marketing calling card in the phone or you on speed dial, like that's, that's something I challenge you to go solve. For sure. Yeah, that was one of my number one priorities when I moved into um, this role and owning the email solutions at my company is I was like, all right, I need one-on-one time with every rep who sells email. Uh, that was like mm-hmm. my number one thing. And I learned so much from those conversations and really value them. And I think the biggest thing is now they know who I am. It's it's different to have those like even informal connections that they feel like they can come to you with things. So conversely, um, we're talked about the warning signs, but what are some positive signals that things are going really well in terms of collaboration with sales? Yeah, definitely. I think there's there's the inclusion piece of it. I think it's the flip side of what we said. It's like you're there as mm-hmm. uh, not just having a seat at the table, but actually having your own table. Like for so long, it was how does product marketing get a seat at the table? And I think our discipline's grown so much. And I think the power center has shifted and you look at product marketing as this connection function. So I always tell product, just imagine you're at a table, there's a seat for the product team. There's a seat for the marketing team. There's a seat for the sales team. There's a seat for the enablement team. There's a seat for the services team. There's a seat for finance and legal, right? And account, like there's, there's, there's functions that like maybe never sat down at the table together. Um, and you have to live in those worlds at any given moment, any given moment, right? You got to live in those worlds. And so I, I think part of like, not just saying, oh, I got invited to the table is great. I think it's, you are the table. And then the telltale sign of whether or not you're doing a good job is if people come. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to say like product marketing is going to have office hours or product marketing is going to have a meeting. It's kind of awkward when no one shows up. <laughs> and so I think it's I think it's important to say like if product marketing had the dinner party, not only would they come, but they they bring the wine, they engage, everyone have a great time. And so yeah, a really subtle KPI is like when you call a meeting as a product marketing leader with sales, with marketing, but who's coming? Who declines? Who sends a Slack and says, what's this about? Is this important? Versus like, who accepts that meeting without even thinking about it because they know anything associated with what you do is something they want to participate in. That, that to me became a sneaky one later. It's like, can you bring and keep people at the table? Yeah. I love that. I love that metaphor of the table. It really encompasses mm-hmm. it. I was, when you were talking earlier, I was thinking like game of telephone a lot of times is what it feels <laughs> like. <laughs> But yeah. I love the I love the uniting factor as well. I think you know, yeah, yeah. Game really game cool. of telephones weird because like what happens? It gets lost in translation, right? I said you know purple elephant, and you said you know rubber duck at the end. It's like wait a minute, how? <laughs> what, where did this? Where did the communication break down? And there's so yeah. many points of failure in that linear kind of left to right comms. But think of think of the round table when everyone can hear you say what you meant to say at once, and then ask questions. Wait, why? Why is it? 
think like why is it this? And that dialogue goes a long way to unlocking some things. I think sometimes sales gets blocked at deal desk and mm-hmm. they don't think product marketing can play a role in unlocking it. They they kind of can't. Um yeah. sales gets blocked when they work with services because of the handoff from kind of pre-sales to post is weird. Well, we can help unlock that by making sure the handoff is clearly codified way before the sales meeting. We can make the service experience something that we talk about much further up the funnel to alleviate the burden you do in that downstream. There's, there's so much, I think, magic and opportunities we can glean when we're kind of conducting what happens at the table versus kind of being told or asked what to do because you'll do it, but you won't have context in the why and the likelihood that it's disconnected is also incredibly high. And I think like when you're saying they don't know what they can ask of you, a lot of times like when I was having those conversations too, I would just be like, what are your issues? Not even like what can product marketing help you with? Just tell me what's up. And then I can kind of overlay, oh yeah, we can help in this way or that way, or this should go to this team or that should go to that team because sometimes they don't even know. But like having those open communications where you kind of know the state of affairs, it's not just like, oh you know, what issues are you having with messaging or positioning? You need to know everything. What's happening? Like, what are you running into? A lot of times that ladders back to PMM, I found. It, it, it always does. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's not cocky. It's literally, we have a purview that a lot of teams don't. And so, you know, one example I, I find a lot is um, I, I, have a, I have a phenomenal partner in enablement. Her name's Kelly mm-hmm. Lewis. And what Kelly and I work a lot on is, our request from sales being interpreted the right way. Mm. So a lot of times a salesperson or a sales leader might say, you know what we need? We need more X. And I think in a, in a world where, you know, product marketing or even sales enablement may be reactive to saying, so-and-so says he needs X, let's go get it. Let's go build it. And you go out and you build it and you build it over time and you deliver X. And it's just like, thank you. Cause I've been needing X for a long time. It's one mm-hmm. person. <laughs> It's for one team or for one, go back to those permutations. It's for one situation. And so we all feel good that we delivered X to the the salesperson, but like, did it move the needle? Was it valuable? Was it a good use of our time? Did it influence revenue? Did it help improve the close rate? We don't know. We just, we just felt good. It's like it's empty carbs, right? Mm -hmm. I think one of the things, the easiest things to do is just kind of break down the, why do you need X? Right. So I'm not saying no, I'm just asking why. Well, yeah. I find that on my discovery calls, it's easier to have a visual that breaks out X, Y, and Z. Oh, interesting. Like, like this one right here. Oh, I didn't know that exists. Right. So it's like I could, we could have those conversations instead of running up to spin off and do a new thing. And even if it's the case of like, oh, that thing, yep, I like that. But here's the difference. Um, the customers I talk to do this. Oh, what are the customers you talk to? Well, I'm talking to these buyers. Oh, wow. That's crazy. I didn't know. We were supposed, yep, I'm talking to these folks because I found a path to the purchase where if I involve these people, it's easier mm-hmm. to get these people involved. And now we've introduced a whole new persona, a whole new track, a whole new path. And then we can go out and ask other people, hey, do you guys also engage with Persona X? Oh, yeah, at every deal. Wow, got it. Okay. So now we can go do something that speaks to the broader piece as opposed to the kind of narrow fix the the one thing. And mm-hmm. so what... um. Again, what Kelly's taught me a lot about and what we've kind of embodied is like, make sure we interpret the request the right way and then make sure that the request isn't just blindly fulfilled so that we feel good. Um, No no, uh, unique works of art, no random acts of product marketing, no random acts of enablement. 
Let's really bring things to the center of the table, see if there's patterns, see if there's trends, and then really decide and determine if uh, this is something we're going to work on together. And you're talking about, um, too, like your collaboration with the enablement team, which is great. Um, and I know that looks different kind of at every company. In what way do you think a product marketer's role changes when they themselves own sales enablement or when they have a separate sales enablement team? Yeah, great question. I, I've been on both sides where um, I think the enablement a product marketer does in absence of a sales enablement team just by default tends to be more uh, product enablement, use case enablement, more technical in nature. Like here's the feature, here's the value, here's how the product works. Where I think product marketers have a blind spot is we don't know sales skills as much. So, mm. you know, for us to say, here's how you dis here's how you conduct discovery loses a lot of credibility if we've never done a discovery call before. Um, <laughs> here's how you handle objections. Here's how you manage commercials. Here's how you set expectations with stakeholders. Here's how you send a, here's how you send an email. I mean, there's just some really simple things that I think a product marketer just naturally does not understand about the world of sales that sales enablement does that can help with. So to me, the, the partnership's there. When it's not there and you as the product marketer have to wear an enablement jacket, I think it really, really then becomes important to have a sales partnership to help you understand and unlock those pieces. Yeah. Um, again, the, the mistake we make is assume that if sales just did what product marketing said, we'd be fine. But product marketing's never carried a bag. They've never held, they've never carried a quota. They, they, the, 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 the paycheck is pretty steady month to month. And so they, like, we, don't, we don't know what it's like to sweat that way. And so I think like it changes the tone if there is no enablement involved where you need to really understand the art and science of sales. Um, mm -hmm. But if you have that partner, what you can do is kind of lean on them for that. And then the biggest thing sales enablement brings to the table from my point of view is accountability. Um, product marketing cannot make sales do anything. They can't, they can't, I can't, I can't make a salesperson do anything. Sales enablement has a different purview into enablement and operations and mm -hmm. more often than not the ear of the sales leader who can say sales leader of all the reps who have taken this product certification, uh, their, their, their attainment looks like this. Their cycle time looks like this. Their productivity looks like this. Um, do you want to go yell at the people who have a certification <laughs> or should I? Um, so, so yeah. enablement can drive a different level of accountability and then also unlock some secrets in terms of sales manager enablement, which also goes a long way. It's one thing to tell the reps. It's another thing to enable mm -hmm. the managers of the reps because once they get it and they're bought in, now you've unlocked the whole new, uh, a whole new reality. For sure. Yeah, I think that's, that's a whole other thing too is that um, relationship building with sales leadership specifically too, uh, is super important because you need that person in your corner and not a, oh, well, marketing is telling you to do this, but you know, like you don't have to do that or anything. Like oh, you yeah. want somebody that's on the same page as you, um, and you're getting insight from them too, of like, this really wouldn't work for my team, or this is kind of what we need. So we have a lot of people listening who are either aspiring product marketers, um, hoping to get in a new position soon, or like new PMMs um, in their first couple product marketing roles. What are some strategies when you're starting a new product marketing role that PMMs can use to get their relationship with the sales team off to a good start? 
I think it's be be a learn it all. Be a sponge. Um, you know, have a point of view that understands the broadest elements of your company's product strategy and go to market strategy. And I know it sounds like a lot to do, but if you're just getting started, your understanding of either one of those two and any of the two orders is going to open a lot of doors for you. Your role starts with product, right? Product markers start with product. If you want to really know the product, understand not just the technical bytes, bits, feeds and speeds and how it works, understand use cases, like understand the most common way people use the product, get two or three stories of customers using the product for those use cases in your back pocket. Um, get one or two quantified outcomes associated with that story, right? Customer mm -hmm. X used feature Y to drive X increase in blah, right? Have that because the likelihood that it exists anywhere else is very low and use that to unlock doors. That becomes kind of your give get of like, I have something you don't have, right? And I and I and I have I have knowledge of not just the product because we've you know we have documentation we have incredible product managers incredible engineers they they know a lot about bytes bits fees and speeds you have context and so I think gathering that will unlock a lot of doors for you and then if you understand pieces of the go to market strategy you can understand okay this story probably applies more at the top of funnel because what we're trying to do is unlock uh, the why change message right we're trying to unlock you know, a uh, shift from the status quo. So, so maybe I need to make sure that this is applied here versus being applied downstream where we've already convinced them to make a change. Now we got to convince them why we're the best, you know, vendor for the solution. So I think understanding both in that order makes a lot of sense. I think again, where a lot of new PMMs get in trouble is they pick the wrong quick win. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that quick win might be, Hey, can you update the pitch deck? It looks a little old. And, you know, we do it because, oh, this is high value, like the pitch decks. And we go in and we put all the pretty pictures in it and all the words and we get. And then what happens? We land it and everyone goes, what is this? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, what, what, why, why is the first slide this? Where's the slide with the mountain on it? Where's the goat? Where's this? Where's that? And it's just like, no, I, I changed it all. And they're like, I'm going back. I'm using the old. I'm going back to the old. That's happened more times than I care to admit. But I think we, we need to pick the right quick wins because then we've earned the right to go ahead and change that pitch that change the story, change the position, change the artifacts because mm -hmm. people say, no, I, and she knows what she's doing. Yeah. Right? Like this, this is why it's been changed. Right. She's got the data. She's got the narrative. Like this is spot on versus the, I went into a room for three months. I've studied pitch deck, best practices. <laughs> new deck. Go for it. You will, you will, you will get booed out of that room. That, that, that's for damn sure. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta earn your cred for sure. <laughs> For sure. Before you start doing that. Yes. Absolutely. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't don't take on the update the pitch deck and don't do that. <laughs> please don't do that. Just just please don't. <laughs> so um I know you said your your transition into PMM is a little fuzzy, kind of fell into it, but I don't know if you had an official first day as a product marketer is what I'm saying, but if you could go back to your first day of being a product marketer and give yourself a piece of advice, what would it be? Yeah. I, so I did, I did have an official first day. It was uh, December of 14. Um, and I remember kind of meeting the team for the first time. The advice I'd give myself is to, you know, slow things down a little bit. Uh, Michael Watkins and the first 90 days has become my Bible for anything mm -hmm. new. And 
I would have put that book in my hand back then because I didn't I didn't have it then, but I've, I've used it now in two other transitions. Um, and I would have put that book in my hand weeks before I started. I would have identified a tangible and valuable 90 day quick win mm -hmm. because I did exactly what Watkins says not to do, which is like just jump in and grab a whole bunch of stuff to prove value. Because you end up taking on eight or nine things and not doing a great job of them versus being being ruthlessly <laughs> prioritized mm -hmm. on, I got this one thing and I'm listening and I'm sensing and I'm gathering priorities and I know there's a backlog because, you know, this role wasn't here before. I hear you in 90 days yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to, and I'm going to come up with something. I'm going to deliver something impactful would have been my advice. Great. And what is a skill that you're looking to grow over the next year? Yeah, I really want to boost my demand gen chops. Um, mm -hmm. I think product marketers are, again, unicorns and special, but I think we have to do a much better job of figuring out how we can help our demand gen folks. And if you can't cleanly correlate all the great work you do in product marketing to the ways in which you can not only um, create demand, but actually accelerate it, Mm -hmm. you're doing yourself a disservice. And if you're a product marketer with aspirations to, to move into the world of a CMO, one of the things you're going to be asked on that interview is you've been a phenomenal product marketer, but like, talk to me about demand gen mm. because as a CMO, you got to be accountable for, for both. So that that's the one I've been spending a lot of time on in the last couple of years, actually. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, have some phenomenal partners and mentors and leaders along the way. Um, so that's the one. That's a great call out and reminder because I think a lot of people in PMM um, have aspirations for an executive track. Reminder, guys, don't don't neglect your demand gen knowledge. And you already name dropped Michael Watkins the first 90 days. But do you yep. have any other books or podcasts that you'd like to recommend to the new to PMM crew? Uh, not applicable to PMM. I think I, I follow and I'm a member of the Product Market Alliance. So kind of what they put out and what they drop tends to be required reading for me. Mm -hmm. um, there's a podcast called The Product Boss that I'll listen to quite a bit. Um, but most of what, you know, my reading in, is around is just more uh, leadership, uh, motivational kind of speakers. What's on the desk now is, is a book called Shift in the Higher Gear uh, by mm. Delatora McNeil. And it's one that kind of changed my summer, it changed uh, an outlook I had, it changed the way I kind of woke up in the morning. And so um, that's that's required reading for anyone who asks later, like, hey, what are you reading? What do you got? This is the one I'll tell you to pick up. Light, super clean read and really good, really, really good read. Love it. Thank you so much for that. Do you have any other final thoughts um, for our listeners today? Yeah, I think, again, I'll, I'll, re I'll restate it. Um, you as a product marketer or someone with aspirations to get into product marketing um, are a unicorn. You're, you're a special being. Like for you to willingly get into the ring and manage the expectations of stakeholders that go from every part of the organization, including, you know, GNA, is critical. And so don't ever lose sight of that superpower. Don't ever, you know, use your powers for, <laughs> for evil. Make sure you are always connecting. Make sure that nothing in the business feels like it's thrown over the wall. That's, that's one. And I think the other one is like, I see so many product marketers at founder led companies mm. and where product marketing is either the first 
higher or product marketing is really easy to understand from the founder's lens because guess what? The founder was the first product marketer. Mm. The founder was selling value props and differentiation through messaging and content and collateral way before you got there. So if you're in that situation where you are a product marketer and the founder is still with the company and has a product marketing mindset because they built it, you, you have something unique and understand that a lot of what the founder wants to see is really sound product marketing, go-to-market execution, because that's the seat they set in. And so um, you actually probably have a path, a window, an opportunity to meet with that founder. Don't, don't squander the opportunity to do that. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been amazing having you and I've learned so much and I'm sure our listeners will as well. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. appreciate all you do to uplift the discipline and help product marketers level up. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. And thank you again to our sponsor, the Product Marketing Alliance. You can use our code NATOPMM to get 10% off their core certification course. I just completed module three of the core certification course all about pricing and got so many great tips on how to get PMM a seat at the table during pricing discussions. And if you want to join our new to PMM group chat, shoot me a note on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to add you. See you next time.